You are listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger. You're with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. I know it's sunny out in uh, probably most places that listen to us, but we are descending into darkness today with Machine and Zimmer 412's Malfitor. Malfitor? Pronunciation, man. Uh, It's not my strong suit. It's, you know what? Obviously, it's not my strong suit. We generally look to Tara for for that. And she's always, you know, sort of, she always thinks, she's like, no, no, I don't know how to pronounce things. And then she pronounces things wonderfully. Uh, Oh, well, that is so sweet of you, but I I don't (laughs) think that that's true. Well, I do. And we are very excited to discuss this album. And we are also excited because the man behind MZ412, which we which we will, that is how I'm going to be referring to it from here on out. Yeah. Obviously, the name was shortened uh, to that a few years after this album, but just for, for ease, MZ412. Machine and Zima means engine room. That's right. And the man behind MZ412, Nordvarger, was cool enough to answer some questions for us and lent his voice to this episode. So you're going to be hearing from him throughout the episode. So thank you so much, Nordvarga. Really appreciate it and really excited to have those answers to flesh out our hmm. listening and appreciation of this fantastic 80s industrial document. And then that can be a reference for all uh, pronunciation henceforth. Exactly. That's true. But hey, before we get into this fantastic record, Gray, what have you been listening to? Well, I was in the zone. I listened to this one a couple times prepping for this, but uh, I also checked out the latest MZ412 record, uh, Svartmerker. That, you know again. what? Hey, sure. <laughs> uh, Beautiful. Which is awesome. It, it feels a little more uh, sound design. There's There's a little more... Well, there's more there's more breath to the recordings uh there's more layers and sort of intricacies to the recordings than of course this which was from 1989 we're talking about something 30 years later so uh both technology and uh ability probably have increased and uh really good still just really good really dark and thoroughly enjoyable and i listened to uh, brett Naki's newest offering which is ems hallucinations recorded on the uh the buckla and at ems studios in uh sweden it's a little swedish tie-in there and i also threw on the uh paraspirit spiritual church movement lp on digitalis that's a weird ambient almost a little glitchy it's kind of a nice follow-up to the endless summer uh, but certainly different in tone, but a mix of light noise and, and ambient and put together in a unique way. So that is what I have been listening to. What about you guys? Well, as we are very excited about the recently released Death Squad book, we threw on some Death Squad and Porcelain Fuck Machine did the trick. Such... Mm-hmm. Just I, I I love those Death Squad tapes. It's just really, just really rough noise. Sometimes you get some vocals. Sometimes you know, there's like a like a, a 
smattering of vocals here and there, but you get, you know, you get some, you get a Manson sample and then you just get some just really, really rough noise. Yeah. Really refreshing, aggressive aggression. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then of course, had to throw on the classic theological genocide. Uh, one of the, one of the great American power electronics documents. I've said documents now twice and I don't know why that's in my head. I guess cause hey, you know, it feels right. Like hey, in, it's in the mix now. It's just in let's the mix, keep, right? It's in my head. Let's keep going with it. Uh, but yeah, so really excited about the death squad book that, is about his 1997 tour. Yeah, what's the the title of that book, Connolly? Oh, Collected Documentation. That's probably why you're saying documents so much. That is, you know what, 100%. Look forward to that documentation. It already wormed into my head. It it wormed into my head uh, already. So yeah, uh, that's exactly why I'm using that word multiple times, and I'll probably will continue to today. But uh, very excited, of course, on our uh, episode with, uh, Dominic Fernow, he discusses his uh, experience with that 97 tour or his experience slash lack of experience. Uh, one, of the, one of the great <laughs> stories from mm-hmm. uh, those two episodes. But really, really excited for that. Obviously, we're going to throw a link up for that to, so everyone can pick that up. In keeping with the Swedish cold meat vibes leading up to this episode, we threw on the raison d'etre within the depths of silence and formations cd and just you know great great in the dark ambient mm-hmm. um zone of cold meat and you know obviously we discussed have tracks on the death orders comp and you know just a, just a great dark ambient project yeah and so wanted to wanted to bring those cold swedish vibes into our home leading up to the discussion of this MZ412 CD. Malfator. It means ro- like wrongdoer. Cold Meat Industry 1989. This is the seventh release on Roger Carmonic's Cold Meat Industry. We just did, of course, a Little Rugger episode. I, I just like this sort of progression. And, and I love, I've loved this Swedish stuff for a long time and uh, continue to. I mean, you were just listening to Raison Tetra too. <laughs> like it's, there's just a certain darkness that comes from that region that is uh, unmatched in its tone. And man, I actually bought my copy of this record in Sweden, which nice was a nice mm. thing to find. I, I happen to be in Stockholm and uh, I remember there's a really great record store, which I believe is closed called collapse uh, with a K like the Neubotten record. And uh, I got this and I also got uh, skinny puppies, two dark park. It was a good day. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a nice, nice hey, two, uh, record store trip. Two incredible albums. Uh, uh, maybe we should talk a, about a, uh, Skinny Puppy sometime. Hey, I know we, we've mentioned on multiple episodes that we want to do a Skinny Puppy episode. And, uh, you know, I think I think before this year's out, I would I would be really psyched to do it as as obviously the three of us are huge fans. and certainly a a touch tone band for a lot of people, especially mm-hmm you know, our, of, of our age, you know, to, who, you know, heard that and wanted to discover even more madness, but man, I, yeah, this, this record's great. And I, I just love that just the cold mechanical virus rises right here, right at the beginning on virus. It's just, it's your, the tone is set and it's going to continue for the, for the duration. And just that you're just in an industrial rhythmic trance right away. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tara translated machine and Zimmer for us, right? Machine room or engine room. Yep. And that's 
that could sum up this entire record. This could be self-titled yeah. really for, for all you need. Like it's the mechanized industrial factory and engine sounds on, that are generated on here through the use of a variety of, you know, actual equipment and instruments are really awesome sounding. And every track has a distinct feel to it and a distinct kind of rhythm or pulse to it and kind of delivers its message in a different way. But it, it really works together as a cohesive thing to throw on and listen to. Like it is again about, especially with a lot of this Swedish stuff, like when we talked about Megaptera, it's about the zone. It's about an atmosphere. It's about putting something on. This is also though quite engaging with the different things that the pieces move through. Yeah. And I, and I love the way Nord Varger discussed, discussed his mental space when recording this, uh, especially in noise receptor, but also, you know, in, in what he sent us in that everybody was kind of middle class in his area and everything was the same. And when you are uh, younger and looking for something more exciting, looking for death, looking for something different, looking for something darker, um, that took his mind to this place. And this was, you know, where he landed in that journey for something other than his daily experience. And, you know, we asked him what, you know, his path to noise and industrial was, and this is what he had to say. Well, I understood quite early that I had, I was a bit different when it comes to, to music. I um, started experimenting quite early with uh, tape decks and stuff like that, making cut-ups and, you know, messing with other people's well, ordinary standard whatever music on the radio kind of but cutting up and experimenting with it pitching noises and stuff like that um, I also quite early realized that I am more attracted to sounds than actually like melodies so I, I can hear hear a noise somewhere you know you're walking past construction site or something and you hear like this power drill or something it's like fuck that is yeah, that, that sound <laughs> I'm more attracted to that than actual melodies. I think starting early, experimenting with tapes and such, um, really just um, showed led me into the the things I later on found, which was um, well the usual suspects: SPK, Throbbing Gristle, Severed Heads, uh, that stuff. Uh, I think that was like opened also a lot of doors and like possibilities. Um, to you know what what can actually be done with with noise and with with music uh, if you skip the conventional side of it also i didn't have a lot of money i mean i was like 15 16 years old so when i started uh, so um, you know you took what you had and what i had was uh, we had a rehearsal room where some punk bands rehearsed and there was some simple gear there and didn't know how to use it so it just became what what i could make it sound like so <laughs> with the with the in, in influence and ideas and also this urge for noise so i don't know of course referencing the classic industrial bands and especially something that i i really hear on this record and i know he mentioned like spk but i, I hear sort of an early 80s Leibach influence to like, I think I've mentioned before, my favorite Leibach stuff is that Recapitula Sieja 80 to 84 collection. And it has like these sort of martial anthems and weird rhythmic pieces on it with chanted vocals and stuff. And while the, the sort of chanting isn't so much here, that sort of vibe, metal percussion and really kind of machined or marching rhythms at times and other times the rhythms are just slow plodding and very simple in fact simplicity is one of the strengths 
of this record and it shows that you don't need a ton of elements you can have there's a handful of things this is i believe recorded on a four track and so you you have those elements and they they all sit perfectly and they all mesh really nicely together and the rhythms are simple nothing is sort of overwrought i 100% mm-hmm. agree with that and i love that's one thing that really attracts me to this record is the simplicity and i i think working with simple exactly that that thing when you only have four tracks so now you need to utilize those four tracks in a way that's going to bring out you know the the greater you know elements of a, of them and i i'm a huge proponent of simplicity and you know i think here on the, on the title track i mean we're just it's just a cold wet engine room and yeah i mean I, like you said I'm in the engine room for this whole thing. On Virus, you can hear the steam and, you know, the steam breathing. And, and, you know, here to me, it's just wet. and You're just wandering around, seeing what you can find. And and here we get the first of a very few utterance of of some vocals. And they're really, you know, they're just, they're really filthy. They're really, uh, you know, I really like the tone of the vocals on this track. Yeah, absolute. Like, like the idea of badness, you know, like if you're craving... Like you want like danger and that is the tone of these vocals. And it, and I think it, it really sets the mood of like uncaring humans, uncaring machines. I think coming off of virus heading into the title track, Malfator, it's, this is like classic post-industrial music. This is, this is like anthemic. This is like very indicative of when I think of sort of, noisy post-industrial music it's it's got this very simple sort of one two rhythm and and the vocals something maybe unexpected from the start of the record that you're going to have some vocals on this and when they appear it's they're nasty and the nastiness continues but there's also a variety of different vocal styles on this record so we'll we'll touch on that more as it goes on yeah and the the pacing like you said is it's just so interesting on on this entire record because you know, virus starts out at kind of a mid pace and then we get to the second track and it brings it down. So it makes everything, you know, just that much more ominous um, and that the the beats and the hits are just this like slow and, you know, scary industrial. Yeah, definitely. It makes everything large feeling like it's like this. This machine is so large that it's not going to, you know, clackety clack like a train so fast. Like we're dealing with something on a, on a massive scale. Yeah. Monumental. Yes. I think the minimalism I'm- of the setup also has to do with that. Like when you only have four elements, they can all feel bigger than having 16 tracks of something always going on. Like these are very distinct elements here. We asked Nordvarger about about the lyrics and about how they progress throughout the history of MZ412? Well, there are, there are not that much lyrics <laughs> on the album, actually. There are some <clears throat> growls and some, I don't know, talking here and there, but some parts, I mean, uh, I had a friend who was a poet at the time, at least he called himself a poet, uh, who wrote some poems, which I'm reading on one of the tracks, I remember. And other than that, it's just more or less what's improvised what came out um subject matter was well the classic uh, old death theme of course and um 
yeah, we had we had more of a industrial death dystopian kind of outlook back then. I would guess we did change the subject matter quite drastically, of course, when we reformed in '94. But yeah, the early times were more. Um, what 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 can we do? What what do we have here? And we just kind of like improvised around it. And so then we move into the third track, which to me this track was more. It, it it's erotic. Like it stays it stays very slow paced. But then we have panting and there is sawing. We have like these grisly hits, and it's almost you know like a like a sexual torture. It's very psychological um, on this track, and it's just. Pairing that with the death of Lazarus as the track title is just so strange to me. Biblically, if you're talking about Lazarus, you talk about the resurrection of Lazarus. But to discuss the death of Lazarus, like as I was listening to this track and, and, you know, thinking about it, I was like, yeah, the death of Lazarus was a weird situation because, you know, Jesus was supposed to go see his friend Lazarus, who was sick. But instead, he stayed a few days in the town where he was instead of going quickly. So Lazarus died. And when he got there, everybody was like, why didn't you hurry up? Lazarus died. And he said, don't worry about it. I'll, you know, I got you and then resurrected him. But at the same time to just even though, you know, you're going to resurrect somebody, just wait for them to die um, is just such a, a strange tale. And having this cold industrial story paired with the death of Lazarus, I think it, to me, it made it seem more uh, callous than I generally would. The, that heavy slamming shut drum that it's so, I love the the drums on this one. Okay. So this is the, the, I wrote slam and slam instruments on here because the drums really do slam. And when we, we asked Nordvarger what the equipment setup was, for this record. And one of the things he mentions, which you'll hear in his own words in a minute is a, a, a Roland, maybe TR seven, two, seven and the seven Oh seven and seven, two, seven to me are some of the clunkiest sounding drum machines. All the drum sounds are very, they sound truncated or gated. They're very, they have this just, just sort of blocky feel to them. And you add some distortion to that and some, some know-how and you have these, like these, things that sound like gates slamming and, and dropping concrete or something like that. You get these really great slamming sounds with it. So I, I think that's, that might be part of the thing at play on some of these tracks where it really, it feels very slammed and very, very regimented. That drum machine doesn't feel human. You know, it is very much a machine, which works quite well for machine in Zimmer 412. On Malfater and also Machter Stimme, we used the same gear. It was an old, um, <clears throat> Was it called a Roland S10 early sampler thing? I think I could sample some. We had some four or eight seconds, so we did loops of that length. We also had uh, well some dis- Boss distortion pedals and flangers and whatnot. We had uh, some drum machines. I do not know actually what drum machines. Was it a TR727 or whatever they're called? I think we had a DR55 as well. We basically were all hanging out in the same space, the rehearsal space, uh, with this sampler and these simple gadgets and pedals. Uh, we had a mixing desk and we had a little, you know, four-track recorder, uh, tape recorder. Uh, so we just, you know, we, we went there in the evening or late at night, uh, drank 
quite a lot of beer and um, just you know just recorded stuff and that's what came out came out the way it did there there are no post production or anything like uh, both Machtorstim and Malfator are well it's more or less what they they sound like they were recorded uh, there's nothing not much after touch up on them at all man I love the the synth hits on Cold Face this this fuzzy oh, yeah. synth or the uh, or the bass hits I you know I'm I like them I like them both I'm not <laughs> sure which one I like more but I like the way they play and then those head trauma drums just come in yeah and 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 they just like kind of come in from above and then there's these really nice obscured samples uh, that sort of go throughout yeah the the buried sample sounds really great and there's also like metal percussion at some point where it feels like that might have been actual pieces of metal they're hitting in the room it's not uh not on the drum machine. And I agree. Yeah, that that the the synths sound really cool. And I think the bass synth sort of follows the drum programming a little bit. Like it's just a little after. And it lends a really nice feel to this rhythm, which is very mechanical. And the track title, Cold Face, it is it's one of those things where it's just so simple, but also so evocative. Like, is it a cold, dead face? Is it a cold face of a stranger? Is it like, you know, the industrial idea of just like a sea of people and strangers and and none of them have any warmth and no one knows each other like a sea of machines? Uh, I, I just like the whole uh, image and the sounds of this. Even the even the rhythm is like a machine clicking into place. So it seems like one of like a found rhythm, even though I know it was created it just it's it's very it works well it really does and we talked to nordvarger about the use of samples in industrial music i wouldn't say they they are important well it depends on what you mean by samples i mean you can and I still sample and loop and you know work with different forms of sampling but i guess you refer to like speech sampling and such. I think you just copied your the ones that came before you. I mean, if you look at, listen to old stuff um, like SPK, Throbbing Gristle and stuff, there was a lot of speeches and, I don't know, medical reports or whatever. Like it just came with the territory, uh, this fascination of death and uh, body horror, whatever you call it. So I, I, today I think it's less important, but back in the day, you, I mean, I was an expert listening through movies, documentaries, looking for samples. I mean, there were no internet back then. I, I was using what I could find. Um, um, and you, you traded and copied VHS tapes and shit like that. So, Tara, tell us about August Picard. He is a really cool Swiss physicist and inventor. Uh, he is the first human being along with his companion to go into the stratosphere. He was the first person to see the curvature of the earth. Um, and then also to measure solar radiation, he invented helium balloons, but you know, when you would go up so high, you would, you know, humans couldn't breathe. So he made a special vacuum chamber in which people can breathe. And then he realized after creating these really um, interesting helium balloons doing lots of measurements of the Earth's atmosphere, that he, he could use that chamber to study the depths of the ocean. So he devised a system which um, regulated the pressure in the tank so that humans could go into the deep ocean without being crushed. 
Hey, honestly, I think amazing. I think you could change the title to the Connolly's nightmare, aka <laughs> no, going I don't deep go in into the ocean. I'm no. uh, right there yeah. with you. That sort of hey. glistening <laughs> feedback makes this whole thing feel like a wet Lovecraftian, <sighs> like yeah. fever dream. Like it really, it does. It it. Yes, it really <sighs> is. It feels slimy. I I I called it crystal feedback, but I that I love mm-hmm. that, and and it's 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 sort of looped and and it go it comes in and out, so it doesn't go. It you know it's throughout the whole track, but it's not constant, right? So it's, yeah, yeah, it starts the track, and then you kind of get it in these waves throughout the track. I love that. Might even be my favorite sound Ooh. on the album. It's you like know? the crystals forming on a helium balloon in the upper atmosphere wow. as they're measuring the battering of solar radiation on themselves. Did you guys know that that is where the name um, Picard from the next generation came from was based on this. Did not uh, know that. He had a brother and the whole family was heavily involved um, in, in physics and science. um, But that is where the name came from. Wow. I I like that. I, you know, something else we hear on this that I, I can only assume it's, it's guitar, right? Ooh. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I know what you mean. I know, I know that you know. I, it, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Actually, yeah, it felt it felt like there's guitar on this track, and of course they would later go on to use like on uh, running the Temple of God. There's a whole bunch of guitar and you know more like right. metal songs on that record. But uh, I, I believe this has some guitar on it, some distorted guitar. That was sort of the other thing driving this piece, and this oh, and the spoken vocals. You know that here Ugh. we get a, a vocal switch up. We've gotten we got the death of Lazarus with like uh, which also has fantastic vocals and those sort of moans and Tara. What did you say? Panting, panting was the word. I panting believe. and erotic samples. Yeah, and that like so we've had now we're on like a third vocal style here really, and it's it's this like kind of dead spoken word element to this track, uh, recounting August Picard's nightmare. Well, you know, Mike, you, that was your favorite sound. This next track is my favorite track. Introspection? Yeah, I... You like uh, that slow storm heading towards us? Uh, yes, I thought it felt so subterranean, like just repetition in the dark. The beat just sounds like a typewriter. So all I could think of is like a generator running in somebody's, you know, private cave while they sit by themselves typing on a typewriter. Somebody's private engine room, maybe. Private engine room. I mean, I was exactly. fully in the factory from this one and the, the echoes were coming from deep within the factory and getting louder as you explored closer to them. Like this is this really has the that cavernous warehouse underground dwelling kind of sound to it. And this is where I really this I have slam underlined on this thing because it is that those slamming sounds and just again, that sort of. It, I really find that drum machine to be clunky and it, it the way it can be used is really cool because other stuff doesn't quite have that feel. So it it's used really well here to give off this very mechanized and very strange feel to it. Yeah. And I think the singular, like the singularness of it makes it this, especially this track have that lonely internal feel like maybe I describe that as subterranean, but isolated you know there's a the the slams are also slightly pitched different i feel like maybe it was a sample or something possibly for those things because they it it plays a slightly different note with it which 
gives it just a different character and keeps it kind of propelling forward. Very cool track. You know what else is, is a really cool track is Public Worship. Oh, cool. man. I really, really love mm-hmm. this one. I love the way the drums sort of come from the distance and snake their way into the track. Yeah, they really they they work their way in to this track. And this one, again, had a, a very, you know, I referenced Leibach earlier, but it had a very Leibach feel to me of that. If people haven't heard that record I referenced, uh, you should. It's a very it's a very cool one. But this one had that that sort of feel, too. And the the other thing I really liked is this the treatment on this sample that's running through this track, which is this like sort of scattered delay sound that it's, it's hard to make out even what's going on. Sort the of ASMR wh- sample. Yeah. Sort of whispering in your yeah. ear. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. This sort of whisper. And I, I really, really dug that. And no, Grace said you, this is the seventh release on, on cold meat or eighth. Did you say seventh release? Seventh release. So, you know, really early on you know, into the label, and so, you know, of course, we had to ask Nordvarger how his relationship with Roger began. Sometime in the 80s, I um, stumbled upon, and I, I, to be honest, I don't really quite remember how I was introduced to what became um, cold meat industry. There was a little group of people who used to hang out, especially in, in, in a town called Örebro, quite close to where I grew up. And probably through that little record shop called Entertainments that was there in the 80s, uh, or Rock Magazine to arrange a lot of concerts, uh, managed to get a lot of experimental stuff on stage there. Through that, I, in some kind of way, I hooked up or managed to get in touch with Roger. And we... Um, well, we, we started out like an EBM band, Popeye Fabrik. Uh, we were some of those guys, uh, and me, of course. Um, we um, started, um, <laughs> well, we actually were in the rehearsal room and we just bored with what we were doing. And so we started hammering on the junk metal and stuff that we had there and started looping stuff. Um, and I thought, what the hell? Let's send this to some label. And then Colmet Industry was the, <laughs> the only thing that I've been in touch with in Sweden so I just okay send it over to Roger and Roger was like yeah this is great let's make a tape so we made uh, Machtor Stimme first uh, but during the time that we sent um, in the meantime from from where we sent the tape to being produced uh, he was so happy with it so said, oh, we need to make more and you know we should make a, an album like a proper album on, on vinyl and um, and we said, fuck yeah, we have more because we have we were really productive in those days. Uh, and um, the problem was that Roger didn't have any money right now. I mean, this was kind of a small operation back then. We're talking 86, 87, something. So we borrowed him actually money to print the Malfator album. So yeah, that's how it began. <laughs> and well, it's it's still going some 30 something years later. In my copy of this record, there is a little flyer, which is the Cold Meat Industry Catalog from 1989. And it says, in brief, we established Cold Meat Industry in 1987 in order to release good, listenable, hard industrial music. Looking back these first years, we think we have succeeded real well. For you, yet unknown with us, we can only recommend you to try any of our high quality items. All groups we are dealing with are Swedish and the main mood is spiritual destructive. Some of our products, such as singles, video, and audio tapes, are made in small edition and will be deleted from our catalog as soon as they go out of stock. In the future, we hope to be able to maintain our work and even develop into new interesting projects. And then it has the catalog of the first, well, 
two through seven and coming in 1990 uh lps by memorandum and in slaughter natives that is so cool. cool very cool little catalog and it says cold meat industry of sweden on the cover and i, I just on the front of it and I, I think it just looks really cool and so i obviously you said it's two through seven so the the undead seven inches is sold out yeah long gone even by the time this came out uh i, I love that that is so cool you know, we've been talking a lot about the the darkness of this album and just sort of the the entire cold meat uh, industry scene, and we we wanted to we wanted to ask Nordvarger what the significance of the abyss was for him and his work. My music has always had a, a dark side to it, I guess. And I think you could call that staring into a, the abyss uh, to some extent. But again, for me, uh, I, of course, there have been a lot of concepts and, and uh, I've been studying a lot of ideas, uh, philosophical, religious, etc. over the years. And uh, to me, my music is not dark or to me, it's just me. It's it's what I do. It's what I am. It's a reflection of, you know, how I feel. And so I'm, I'm not a really negative, dark, uh, sad person. Quite the contrary. I'm, a, I'm loving life, living life to the max, celebrate life. But I also celebrate death because it's such a natural part of life. Uh, so there's nothing to fear. There's nothing strange. So, I mean, the abyss... Again, if you look too long, it will look back, blah, blah, that shit. Yeah, but I'd say in the abyss, there's also a lot of gems you can pick up and, and learn from. So um, whatever your personal abyss is, there is something good to look for in it. Coming up next year, we have a, we have a sequel track. Cold Face 2. With a backwards right. title, actually. Right, right. yeah, yeah. Cold Face 2 or... Ecaf Dlock two, <laughs> but you know, of course, cold face backwards. But man, that that metallic noise loop is so, you know. Again, it's 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 a different it's a different, you know, color uh, for their album up here coming near the end. Yeah, it is. It is, and the there's that again mechanical you know mechanized drums very prominent kick drum there's a high tone in here there's not too much in the way of like nasty feedback and and sort of abrasive tones there's a lot of really good atmosphere throughout the album and a lot of really nice textures but on this one we have this sort of like high piercing tone and this fuzzy haze of noise going on during it and it's just that primitive again. I mean, I know we've discussed this drum machine, but just that primitive drum machine. It's just to me, it's the most mm -hmm. primitive on this track. Well, and what I really like about this track is that the symmetry gets broken because, you know, you get into this meditation, you you feel like a ritual and, you know, you're banging your head and going along with the rhythm. And, and then it's it's asymmetrical in this and you know some things aren't happening on a loop and some things aren't fully mechanized and it's so organic and I really love the non-repetitive elements and hits of that strange rhythm as it's introduced and using the sample of just the schizoid personality it just pairs so well with the concept of the cold unfeeling face the concept of ennui all of those dark things 
I, I love that, Tara. I think that's that's a great way to discuss this track. And in one of the last issues of Noise Receptor, the issue that he did the cover for and and was interviewed in, he discussed hidden parts of his work. And we asked him if he would care to expound on these ideas for you, the Noise Extra listeners. I don't really like to talk too much about the inner workings of what I'm doing. It's a very personal thing. And also, I don't want to be um, preaching or anything. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a life coach or anything. People have actually approached me and said, like, "Hey, can you help me with this and that? I have these kind of problems." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> I'm not the guy to ask." So, the hidden parts of what what goes on behind the music is, well it's it's my thing and also what i what i do is not you can interpret it in any way you want uh basically it's i'm not telling you anything i'm not political i'm not ideological i'm not you know it's just like take the music uh, listen to it and whatever it makes you feel is up to you it's your interpretation of what i'm doing and if it makes you stronger and happy or you know gives you some th- something i have achieved my goal basically and also in that same interview, he discusses the importance of the work of Kenneth Grant. And so we asked him a little bit about Grant's influence on his work. Well, I heard about Kenneth Grant many, many, many years ago, um, probably early 90s, uh, when he wrote the autobiography, or he was involved in it, at least, with uh, of Alistair Crowley. So I, I've known about him for a long time, but it was first i would say 2012 13 14 something like that where i first started to investigate his uh, typhonian trilogies uh, and those books are yeah <laughs> they are the most fantastic thing uh, i ever read actually it's the it's totally chaotic his writing style is very very hard to understand especially if english is not your first language uh, it doesn't make it easier at all uh, he writes in in in, in well, it's, it's it's very very mixed. <laughs> Everything is just mixed together, and so he, he can on one page he can be all over the place basically. So it's really hard to to read. But uh, he actually in the foreword of one of, of the I think it's the third book, he writes that um, he kind of explains that he writes in this way because uh, if if you read this material at some point things are gonna. You're going to get things, even though it seems a bit like totally random or or, uh, mixed up. And that is very true. Uh, If you really devote yourself to to read these materials and and, uh, try to understand uh, what he's he's talking about too hard, you're not going to get it. But if you read it and just have an open mind, things are going to become clearer as you progress through this. Uh, for me, it's opened a lot of doors. Uh, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's. Um, I mean, we're not talking about the religion here. It's not like, oh, I saw the light. It's not that kind of thing. But it, it just opens up your mind to possibilities that maybe you didn't even consider before. Um, so for when it comes to an influence, for me as a person and also as a musician, uh, it's it's been fantastic so uh, yeah I, I really really recommend if you have the time and you want to put some some brain fodder that really is interesting uh read kenneth grant's uh, typhonian trilogies they are demanding but extremely gratifying to read i love that nord varger wants to preserve the mystery 
Like, you know, and not and not just like hammer people over the head or tell you how to think. Like I I that's something like that I, I truly appreciate and especially noise and abstract sound, experimental music in that you give some reveal, but allow the listener to come to their conclusions. Well, and I think that's something that's gone through industrial and noise from the very beginning, you know, presenting these ideas, not giving you the answer, letting the Mm -hmm. listener come to their own conclusions. And I think that's one of the most important things about art in general, but I think within the confines of industrial noise, experimental, et cetera, I think it's even more important. And I, I think, you know, he really hit it on the head. Yeah. It, it allows you to have varying opinions on something. It, it allows, you know, one person to think one thing about an album, another person to, to gain something totally different, but you know, that's part of the individual experience. And I think that's, uh, important and something that noise does that other things can't. I think that that's very important to industrial music. And part of the fun of us doing this podcast is that our listeners can have different ideas than us. And I think it says a lot about a person, how they can interpret certain different things, different concepts, different ideas uh, presented to them through art and music. And this is just, you know, our opinions on these things, but, and, and how we react to them and everyone should listen to these records and react to them in their own ways and make their own decisions about all these things. We just choose to highlight certain things here, like this fantastic record. I mean, this is a foundation of Swedish industrial from the late eighties and a very monumental record. I think alongside Mokster Stim, their earlier record and a very monumental band, which, you know, sort of broke up and then reformed again in the mid nineties. And, you know, they really didn't play live a ton though on the dark vinyl CD of, of the first release, there is a a show that's recorded. And, but, so we did ask Nordvarger about live shows around this time. We didn't do a lot of shows. Uh, We did, I don't know, maybe four or five, maybe in the eighties. Uh, as Machine and Simmer 412. Um, live shows were basically, we, we, we took uh, some of the, the loops that we had, like we had a four track that we recorded everything. So we took the like the basic structure of the, the rhythmic, rhythmical loops uh, and played them live. And then we just improvised over it uh, using samplers uh, and a lot of metal junk, you know, stuff and uh, boss pedals. So uh, we didn't really reproduce things very faithfully, maybe, but we, you know, there was a lot of improv and and beers as well in in, (laughs) in the process. So, yeah. We come to the very final nail in the coffin of this album and talk about short but sweet. It's a noisy, chunky nail, this one. It's yeah. yeah. I want it to go on for 10 minutes. Uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 But it just, the rug gets pulled and it just, this is the memento mori, right? And it's yeah. just the, the final blast, the heavy electronics and noise just rises, rises. And then you're just left. You're left in the cold. You're left out in the cold engine room. Crumbling chaos. And then they pull the rug out from under you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I love this track and I love the way it ends. Yeah, it's it's a shock when it ends. Yes, yes. Especially after, you know, all the other tracks ranging from four minutes to almost seven minutes 
to throw a one minute ender on there. It's 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 not enough. It's not. No. <laughs> no. If you grab the CD be- <laughs> reissue, there's some there's three bonus tracks, so you get a little more yes. MZ412. <laughs> which you're going to want you're going to want or you can just play this record again or put on another of their fine records exactly and that's what i that's what i really like about especially 80s albums i like the length because they mm-hmm. were fitting them on vinyl so they wanted to make sure you know they don't while, while i do appreciate a good filled up 73 minute cd there's something about a, a 40 minute album that you just can't touch. And Tara, what? Yeah, on the on the we have the, the on the CD. spine of the CD reissue. I absolutely agree with what it says, and that is a fifty-five minute history lesson from nineteen eighty-eight. I love that. I love that. That's Perfect. what it says on the on so the other good. Side. And you know, you know, we asked Nordvarger, you know, what were his goals with with Malfator, and does he feel that he achieved those goals? Well, the goal was to make a damn good album. <laughs> we have to take into account we were really young. Uh, we um, we didn't have any skills, basically. We just, you know, took what we had and, and did something with it. So the goal was really to just produce uh, an album that we liked, to basically do something that we could listen to or would like to buy ourselves. That was like the goal. Um, there was nothing deeper than that. And I think we succeeded. I think, okay, it's it's a bit today, to me at least, it feels a bit dated. But again, what the fuck do I know? I'm old. Well, hey, we're here to say that this album is a success. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. we really, really got into it. And I think just ha- getting getting all that great information from Nordvarger himself just enhanced our appreciation of this of this album. And, uh, you know, if you, if you haven't heard it, grab that, grab that reissue or, Hey, if you're lucky enough, go to Stockholm, maybe pick, go to that record store. That's yeah. closed. Maybe see what's maybe, maybe they see left. There now. Maybe there's some records like still in that, in that building, uh, that just didn't get moved. So maybe there's still a copy like Gray got, but you got the generator still running. Yeah. Maybe. May, or yeah. Maybe, <laughs> some, maybe, some long en- gone. maybe some engine room in Sweden, uh, there's a few copies laying around, but however you grab it is 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 a okay, wouldn't you say? Yep. You got it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, and thanks so much, Nardvarger, for taking the time to answer our questions, and thank you to all the listeners. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artist for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.